Welcome to 7-Minute Torah. I'm Rabbi Micah Streifer. In this podcast, we explore the weekly Torah portion in about 7 to 10 minutes. We make modern meaning out of ancient texts, exploring them through liberal Jewish eyes. Sometimes it's just me, and other weeks I'm in conversation with another rabbi or a Jewish thought leader. One of the very powerful motifs or stories in Judaism is the idea of standing at Sinai. As Jews, we have a number of different stories, so to speak, that we tell about who we are and where we come from. We say that we were descendants of Abraham and Sarah. We say that we were slaves in Egypt. And we also say that we all stood at Sinai. And that motif in particular is very much one that's about inclusiveness, about everyone being present. When we say that we all stood at Sinai, we mean we all stood, all of us in every generation stood together at Sinai. In some ways, that idea is born out of this week's Torah portion. We're reading from Nitzavim. Nitzavim starts at Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 9, and ends at chapter 30, verse 19. Nitzavim does not take place at Mount Sinai. It actually takes place on the banks of the Jordan River, as the people are just about to cross over into the Promised Land. But in some ways, in the rabbinic imagination and in the Jewish story, this portion gets mashed up with Sinai. And the reason for that is that it also tells about a ritual of entering into covenant. I'm going to read the beginning of the parsha. Moses says to the people, You stand this day, all of you, before the Eternal, your God. And then Moses goes on to enumerate who is the all of you. It says your tribal heads, your elders and officials, men, women, children, even the stranger within your camp, from woodchopper to water drawer. And the reason for the standing together is in verse 11. In order to enter into the covenant of the eternal, your God. So what we have here is a ritual in which the entire community stands together. All genders, leaders and lay people, immigrants and citizens, men, women, children, all socioeconomic statuses. This is really meant to indicate that everybody was there together. And that in and of itself is an amazing message from this parsha. But that's actually not the message I wanted to talk about. Because the portion then goes on to be inclusive of one more group in a way that might be unexpected. This is in verse 13. It says, I'm not making this covenant only with you, but both with those who are standing here with us this day and with those who are not here this day. So what does it mean when the Torah says that God is making a covenant both with those who are present and also with those who are not present? And for that, we can turn to Rashi, who is the great commentator of 11th century France. And he says, Those who are not here means, That the covenant is also being made with generations that will exist in the future. 
In other words, this moment of covenant, this moment of entering into relationship with God, whether it be at Mount Sinai, like back in Exodus, or here on the steps of Moab, is meant to include all Jews, all of Israel, all of us who would ever live. And that's what we mean when we say that we all stood at Sinai. And I think that has a couple of implications. One of the implications of this is about ownership, that we're all supposed to own Judaism, and I'll get to that in a moment. The other implication, which we see a little later in the Parsha, is about accessibility, that Judaism and Torah are supposed to be accessible to all of us. And later in the Parsha, the Torah says just that. This is chapter 30, verse 11. This instruction, which I'm giving you today, is not too difficult for you, not too baffling for you, nor is it beyond reach. It is not in the heavens that you should say, who among us can go up to the heavens and get it for us and teach it to us? The Parsha goes on a little bit longer to say it's also not beyond the sea. It's supposed to be close to you. It's supposed to be accessible to you. I want to take a moment to appreciate how extraordinary, how revolutionary that statement is. Many religious traditions are designed so that knowledge and power belong to an elite. If you want to worship God, you've got to go to the priest. If you want to perform a sacrament, you have to go to the priest. But Judaism comes along and says, no, loba shamayimhi, it's not in the heavens. It's right here in front of you. It is within your reach. Now, of course, Judaism has a priesthood, it has a religious structure, it has a power structure. Those things are real as well. Judaism has not always been equally accessible to everyone. But at the same time, the idea is baked in from the very beginning that it ought to be, that Judaism ought to belong to each of us equally in every generation. And the rabbis take that idea very seriously. In fact, they quote this passage in what might be one of the most very famous stories in the entire Talmud. This is from Tractate Bava Metziah 59b. I'm going to do my best to do justice to this story in only a couple of minutes. The Talmud tells that the rabbis of the second century were disagreeing about a certain point of Jewish law. It doesn't actually matter what point it was. It has to do with the kashrut of a certain oven. And that Rabbi Eliezer had disagreed with everybody else. Now, Rabbi Eliezer then proceeds to cite a number of magical proofs that he is right about the halakha. So he says, if I'm right, then this carob tree will prove it. And a carob tree indeed uproots itself and kind of flies across the field and plants itself back into the field. But the other rabbis say, nah, that's not how we make decisions around here. We don't bring proof, halakhic proof, from flying carob trees. So Rabbi Eliezer says, okay, then if I'm right, this stream of water will prove it. And the stream of water flows backwards. But the other rabbis again say, this is not how we make decisions from streams of water flowing backwards. Then Rabbi Eliezer says, 
Then the walls of the study hall will prove it, and the walls start to turn inward. But you guessed it, the other rabbis again say, this isn't how we do it. Finally, Rabbi Eliezer brings out the the big guns. He says, if I'm right about the halakha, heaven will prove it. And a voice emerges from heaven and says, Why are you disagreeing with Rabbi Eliezer? The halakha is always in accordance with his opinion. Now you would think that that would be the end of it, right? A voice from heaven pretty well should decide the halakha. But that's not the case. Rabbi Yehoshua, who is Rabbi Eliezer's primary rival, stands up and quotes this Torah portion. He says, Lo bashamayim hi. It is not in heaven. So what does it mean in that context, it's not in heaven? Well, the Talmud tells us, since the Torah was already given at Mount Sinai, we don't pay attention to divine voices. You, God, already told us how to make decisions, and it's by interpretation. It's by reading and understanding and interpreting the Torah. And the passage ends with God smiling and laughing and saying, Nitzachuni banai, nitzachuni banai. My children have triumphed over me. My children have triumphed over me. So what we have in this story is actually the rabbis engaging in halachic dispute with God. God gets involved in the argument, and the rabbis pull out their hermeneutical devices in order to prove their point. And one of the points, one of the arguments that they make is from right here in this Torah portion. Lo shamayim hi, the Torah is not in heaven. It's not something that belongs just to God or to those who claim to speak for God. It is something that belongs to the Jews. We are authorized, we are entitled, we are required to interpret Torah in every generation. And that's what I meant when I said that the second point here was about ownership. That Judaism is supposed to be something that belongs to the Jews. It doesn't stay static. It doesn't stay exactly the same. It isn't the mindless continuation of something that has existed for thousands of years, and it isn't top-down. Judaism is the constant reformulation and reinterpretation of texts and traditions in every generation and by every generation. And that, I think, is part of what we mean when we say that we all stood at Sinai. We were there too. We received the Torah too. And we as well are authorized and truly responsible to keep reading and reinterpreting it because it's supposed to stay relevant in every generation. And that, I think, is a beautiful message to bring with us into the High Holy Days. These are ancient traditions that we're participating in this coming week. But at the same time, they are our traditions, and they're meant to be constantly renewing, and we get to find ways to make them our own. So I wish you a Shana Tova Umetuka, a good and sweet new year as we enter this Rosh Hashanah, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to 7-Minute Torah. If you enjoy this program, please leave a review on your podcast app, and please consider becoming a sponsor at patreon.com slash 7MinuteTorah. You can also join us in our Facebook group, 7 Minute Torah Listen and Discuss.